Good morning, ABC Online. My name is Megan, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today for our services. I just want to give you a couple updates on some Sunday service details that are coming up in the future. As you know, we have VBS here all next week, and we're going to cap off our VBS week with VBS Sunday. And so that means that we are going to have um, an event at both of our services at both 9 and 1045, and those are both going to be outside. So we're gonna invite our VBS kids to be a part of that service. You're gonna to get to see a little bit of what they did all week and even participate in that a little bit. So any of our kids who attended VBS and wear their shirt will also get a treat that Sunday. And we just hope that you'll join us and see what it's all about. Um, another Sunday update is the following Sunday on June 27th. Um, we are flipping our services. So the inside is going outside and vice versa. So at 9 a.m., since it's going to be getting warmer, we're gonna have our services outdoors in the outdoor lot. And then at 10.45, we're gonna be doing indoor service. And our kids' services are also following that. So they will be at the 9 a.m. service starting June 27th. And that Sunday is also our Hume send-off. So our middle schoolers and high schoolers are gonna be heading up to Hume Lake Christian Camps on June 27th. So we invite you to come to the 9 a.m. service if you would like to see them get sent off and prayed over for camp. Um, they're gonna have a fantastic week and we just invite you to be a part of that morning. Well, that's all we have for you this morning. We hope you have a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. It's great to have you with us as we continue in our series in the book of Philippians. Um, last week, we were talking about discipleship and mentoring uh, from uh, what I called the second best discipler of all time, the Apostle Paul. Obviously, number one is Jesus, right? And so uh, this week, we get to talk about keeping it real. In other words, uh, Paul in this passage of scripture is so transparent in terms of this process in his own life, of, of how he came to an understanding of the power of God in him and, and uh, where our real source comes from, all of these kinds of things. So I'm excited to, to dig into what we have today. Uh, last week I had a, several people ask, and then a few of our staff have mentioned as well, that there is a bit of confusion as it relates to my own personal transition in terms of retirement itself. Uh, I am retiring as of August 29th uh, this summer, just to be clear about that. That's something that has been in the works for a long time, specifically for the last two years. Uh, Jeff Erke has been designated as the, as the next lead pastor by our elders and myself, and, and we've been working in that direction for these two years. We're really excited about him in terms of a future leader of ABC and, and think he's ready to to step into that role and a little backstory on it might be helpful why uh, i'm making this transition i mean i we've had some people say tom you're so young uh, you're so handsome why would you retire now and uh well full disclosure nobody really said you're so young and and i'm not sure anybody said i was so handsome either but they did say why are you retiring so uh, that that part's true so why are you retiring now um the backstory on that is is that when i came to abc uh the pastor here was named eb claude you may have heard of his name before 
Um, he gave me an opportunity as a young man that very few young men in ministry get. He really uh, initiated a transition in leadership between himself and me, uh, moving to co-pastor and then to senior pastor. And in 1990, I assumed the responsibility of senior pastor at ABC at 30 years of age. And, uh, and as a result of that, um, God planted in my heart a desire. I would love to be able to do that for others or specifically someone else here if God would keep me here. And, and here I am, you know, 37 years later in a position to be able to invest intentionally in the next leader of ABC and to be able to hand the baton off to someone who we think is well prepared and so it's really a a vision that god gave me long ago that uh, we're living through right now and so uh, i'm retiring in one sense uh, but am, am i done uh, no i'll still be at abc uh, i won't be officially on staff any longer uh, we're going to take a bit of sabbatical and be away for a season uh, my intention, though, is that the next chapter for me is to invest very intentionally in church planting movements, what I would consider to be innovative church planting movements, and help fuel those movements. So uh, my passion for the kingdom, my desire to serve, all of those things are still there. It's just going to take a different form uh, in terms of uh, ABC and my leadership at ABC but uh, I'm really excited, and I hope you are as well. So that just kind of gives you a little bit of idea of what's going on with uh, ABC and with me uh, particularly, as we've had a number of questions about that and some degree of confusion. So as we dive into this passage of Scripture today, we get um, to look into a window into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is autobiographical. Uh, in, in fact, it, it is the secret of Paul's amazing ministry. And here it is. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, okay? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This was the secret of Paul's ministry in terms of his success. And he came to this over time. And so we're going to develop that today. I'm really excited to share this. I'm kind of geeking out on it a little bit. Uh, just because I think there's so many profound principles here that we can learn, and I think they're important for all of us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, for it is a safeguard for you. In other words, he's saying, it may sound like I'm repeating myself a lot, you know, this whole thing about rejoice. In fact, he's going to say rejoice two more times before he's done with this letter. Okay, so he is. It's very redundant. He keeps saying it over and over again. Why? Because it's so incredibly important in the Christian life. And that's what he's saying. I'm not going to apologize, Paul says, for saying it. This is the important component of the Christian life. And then he goes on in verse 2. and He says, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision." For we are the true circumcision, okay? And then he says this, who worship in the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, all right? So he's, he's pointing out those who are the true circumcision, uh, worship in the spirit, glory in Jesus, and they don't put confidence in the flesh. Verse four, although I myself might have even 
uh, uh, confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. In other words, you want to talk about putting confidence in the flesh? I can do that. In fact, I have done that. In fact, my resume, uh, I'll put it up against your resume any day. Uh, he's not saying this arrogantly, by the way. It's actually from a position of humility, and we're going to see that. So let's break this down, and then we're going to get to kind of developing verse 4 and what he's trying to get at here, and then which culminates in verse 7, what I would call the, the secret that Paul learned in his own ministry, okay? First of all is rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. Um, he's basically saying this. When he says, finally, he says, finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. But what he's doing is he's doing this. Bottom line is this. I say that a lot. A lot of you say it. If you're trying to summarize something, bottom line is this. The bottom line in the Christian life, if you want to be a mature Christian, rejoice in the Lord no matter what comes your way. He had learned this the hard way over time. Most of us learn this the hard way over time. Even though he's repeating himself, he says, I'm not ever going to apologize for that because the reality is every one of us need to be reminded continually that we need to rejoice. We don't come to this naturally. In fact, our natural response is when things go bad in our lives, seemingly bad, you know, right? We, we want to grumble and complain about it. Back to Jeff's message a few weeks ago, right? The, the idea here for us is that we have to kind of remind ourselves. It's like tying, you've heard that saying, you know, tie a string around your finger to remind you, you know, oh yeah, I need to remember that. Some of us do sticky notes, different places and all that. We need reminders continually that God is enough, regardless of what happens, and that we can rejoice or find joy in that. And, and genuine faith, real faith, is this. God is enough. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what happens to me in my life, God is enough, and, and he's sufficient for me in each and every situation. Secondly is watch out for fakes. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of false circumcision. He, he's saying be cautious and be aware of externally religious people. And here's the thing is that those people, they can be me. <laughs> they can be you. There's this pretense that we can put on because the Bible has an awful lot to say about what we're supposed to be like and how we're supposed to act and all these things. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've been around Christians for a while, you learn the lingo, right? You, you know kind of what's acceptable and, 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 and what's not. And after a while, we can kind of start faking it. And, and the authentic nature of Paul's ministry is something he's saying, Watch out for this. Watch out for those false teachers. He calls them dogs. He calls them evil workers, false circumcision. Now, when, he, when, when, when the term dog is used, the, the, the picture you need in your mind is, is the dogs of the first century that are identical to the dogs of today in the cities around the world today. Packs of dogs, mangy-looking dogs, mean-looking dogs. Not the pampered pets that are shampooed and manicured that we have today, you know. These are the dogs that actually eat garbage. They're the ones that eat decaying meat and rotten vegetables and all those other kinds of things. And by the way, you know what's frustrating about the pampered dogs? <laughs> my pampered dog is that my pampered dog 
thinks it's a street dog sometimes, and it eats all that garbage on the street too. And you look at your dog and you go, hey, Rosie, what are you doing? Don't eat that garbage, right? The fact that he's calling these false teachers dogs was far from a compliment. He said, they're just eating garbage. <laughs> they look maybe one way, but they're, they're eating garbage. And, and that's the truth for, for any false teacher, it's garbage. That's what Paul has basically come to. It, uh, and when you add this, when you add this to, to Christianity, okay, in other words, when you add the things that they were espousing, the false circumcision was espousing, added rules, added things that go along, legalism that go along, it just makes Christianity so cumbersome. And we have got to continually be careful that we are not adding things to the Bible, adding things to Christ. And, and, and he draws this amazing contrast, okay, between the, the true circumcision and false circumcision. One of the ways you can tell a phony is that they try to hide their shortcomings and failures. And that's why I love this passage of Scripture so much, because the Apostle Paul is so authentic in terms of his own journey, how he came to a place where he realized that his own strength was a weakness. And in fact, we'll see it in 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians in particular, where he actually is very revealing about this process in his own life that we're going to see in a moment. Philippians 3.3, he says, For we are the true circumcision, those who worship in, in, in the Spirit of God, glory in Jesus, and put no confident, confidence in the flesh. The idea that a genuine believer has a genuine heart for God that overflows in worship, that very much wants to see Jesus elevated and not ourselves. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Okay, Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In Psalm 42, it says, as a deer pants for water, Brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. And in Psalm 73, it says, Whom have I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. False teachers, not only are they phonies, they make it all about themselves. And one of the ways that you can tell a false teacher is pay attention to the pronouns. When people use I and me a lot, you know what? Be careful. Uh, because it's a sign many times that they're making it about them and, and not about Jesus. You know, it, it really has to be about Christ. Third, be careful not to misplace your confidence, okay? And this is the huge shift that takes place. And this is the big shift that needs to take place for all of us. Uh, our enemy wants us to glorify anything but Jesus or glory in anything but Jesus, you know, he wants churches to pride themselves in anything but Jesus. You know, let's talk about our buildings. Let's talk about the number of attenders. Let's talk about our budgets and dollars. Let's talk about the accomplishments of our church. Let's talk about anything but Jesus, right? And so be careful about this. Paul says, he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. You know, what do you boast about? What are you proud of? We hear so much about the need for self-confidence, and yet Paul is saying essentially the opposite. We put no confidence in the flesh. Mature Christians will give credit 
to the Lord for the things that are accomplished in their life. The Bible says this, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is said in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, repeated over and over again. And yet we are told from childhood that we're to be proficient, to be uh, competent, that we, if we're going to accomplish our goals and desires and all of these things, we've got to develop more self-confidence. The biblical principle here that Paul is teaching is the foundation of our confidence is not in ourselves, but in God. And when it becomes our confidence, when, when it becomes in the Lord itself, we know this, that we can accomplish amazing things. How? I can accomplish all things. I can do amazing things, in a sense, through Christ who strengthens me. It's God's power in me. It's not simply me. I don't have to just rely upon myself. Therefore, when you feel inadequate, when you feel overwhelmed, you know, like we were talking about young Timothy last week. He lacked self-confidence, you know. When you lack that confidence, you don't point to yourself and say, you know, no, Timothy, you've got it in you. You can do this. It's not what Paul said. No, you've got Christ in you, and through him you can do this. That's the principle that God wants to bring us all to, and uh, the Apostle Paul very much understood that. He, he over time, came to understand that it wasn't about putting confidence in the flesh. Uh, overconfidence, uh, I can do it without God. And many times, you know, we don't start off this way, right? But many times when you have some success and you, have, you, know, you, you figured some things out in your life, you begin to rely more upon yourself than you do on God. And, um, and basically, Paul's saying, look it, man, um, I, I've tried that. I mean, I have a pretty good resume. I, I've had some amazing accomplishments. There's some things that I could definitely take pride in. But uh, over time, I've learned that that's, that's not the way to do it as it relates to my own walk with God. And uh, the only thing that changed this for the Apostle Paul is what I call the rough road to effective ministry. <laughs> um, yeah. The rough road to effective ministry. And this is the window that I'm talking about. This is the, the look into the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, let me back up and say that when Paul became a Christian, and I'm making a few assumptions here, but when Paul became a Christian, I believe he substituted the zeal that he had as a Jewish leader persecuting Christians, that he substituted that zeal and he transferred it over to his Christian faith. He, now he had a new mission. He had a new objective. And so he take that, took that same zeal that he had and now transferred it to the kingdom. And you think, well, well, well that's good, you know. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the pros and cons. The pro is, is that he's born again. Uh, Paul has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he has a strong desire to be an effective minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. The con is this, is that he was barren and ineffective initially. Even though he was a Christian, even though he had the Holy Spirit, even though all of the, his motives, I think, were good in that sense, there was something lacking in his life. And, uh, and we find out what that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He came to this over a significant period of time. It was a gradual process in his life. He was a Christian. He had the Holy Spirit. He had a new mission. But he wasn't ready for real effective service for the Lord yet. Why? Because he had another lesson to learn, a really important one. 
And he summarizes that like he did in verse 7 in Philippians 3, 7. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, if I have to boast, I will boast in what pertains to my weakness. Get this. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. This is a insane shift for him. Somebody who had everything to be proud of in terms of his own experience, his own life, his own resume, everything else, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to boast in. I'm going to boast in what pertains to my weakness. And here's the window. Look at verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. I am telling you the honest-to-God truth is what he's saying. This is what I'm going to boast in, all right? In Damascus, the king was guarding the city in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall so as to escape his hands. <laughs> you got to get this. The thing that I boast in is my weakness. And let me give you the example. His greatest moment of humiliation, he had come to Damascus. The king was after him. Uh, the, there were some disciples there that realized that, that Paul's going to die if we don't get him out of here. So he sneaks out of the city. How? At night, in a basket, out a window, drop down and he runs for his life. One of the most humiliating experiences of his life. He says, I am taking pride in this. I glory in this. Why in the world would he say that? It doesn't make any sense at all. Why would he say that? And it's because through that, he became more useful to God. Hey friends, this is the road for all of us. It's a hard road, you know. There are things that are going to transpire in our lives, humiliating things in our lives, that are going to yield potentially humility in our lives. God gives grace to the humble. God wants to use humble people who are, who are literally available to him to be used by him with his power, not our own power. How did he become more useful to God? What does this road look like? There was a realization of the truth. He had been converted, no doubt about it. He believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was fired up because he started reading the Old Testament scriptures and he, he realized, man, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus being the Messiah. And I can prove it. I can prove that Jesus was actually the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. Jews need to know that, right? They need to know that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah that they'd already had. And he had the ability to prove it from the Old Testament scriptures. He had the proof. He had an anticipation of great things to come. I mean, he was super excited at this moment. I mean, with this new insight that he received, the revelation of Jesus Christ himself to the on the road to Damascus, taking the Old Testament scriptures and seeing Jesus everywhere. What's, what's Paul going to do? He's going to take that zeal that he had to persecute Christians. He's going to transfer it to his new mission. He's going to take the world by storm. He literally is on it. And yet, third, overconfidence leads to his failure. See, the only problem was, instead of overwhelming them, instead of them accepting his message, instead of convincing these other leaders, get this, 
they rejected him. Everything he learned, everything that he was going to share with them, they plotted to kill him. When he went to the disciples, you know, and all, uh, they didn't believe him or believe in him initially. Can you imagine the disappointment and disillusionment? He's fired up. He's ready to go, which brings us to our, four, our fourth point, and that is disappointment and disillusionment. You know, um, you got to wonder what was going on in his heart and in his mind. He gives us a bit of a picture. He felt defeated. He felt discouraged. Uh, his dreams had collapsed. He had left the city of Damascus. Um, you know, there, there is a point, I believe, that God brings us all to, you know. And so from Damascus, where does he go? He goes to Jerusalem. Yeah, that's where the disciples are. That's where his new best buds are going to be. Uh, he doesn't know him yet, but he's planning to introduce himself. Uh, he's on the team now. Uh, where would you go, you know, when you, when you feel like you need some support? You go to your Christian brothers, right? And so he goes up to Jerusalem, he finds the apostles, and guess what? They weren't super excited to see him. They didn't really want to have much to do with him. They didn't even believe he was a real disciple. This was the road that he was on. Humiliation leading to humility that would make Paul useful to God. And thank God for Barnabas. You know, Barnabas came along, his mentor, and helped him see how God was using this really rough road to shape him into the man that he needed to be. But here's the problem. He still wasn't ready yet. In other words, he needed some more time on the bench. And so where did he go then? You know, Damascus didn't work out, right? <laughs> Jerusalem didn't work out where his new, new best buds were that turned out not to be his best buds. Where'd he go? He went back home. Remember his name, Saul of Tarsus, right? Where'd he go? He went home. He went to his hometown. And he stayed there from five to seven years. He sat on the bench. And we don't hear anything about the Apostle Paul. We don't know what happened during those five to seven years. All right? And by the way, you ever tried going back home? You know, you got away to college, had a career, whatever, and you go back home. And, uh, you know, you've accomplished some significant things in your other careers. And you come back home and they remember you as a little kid or what you were before. There's no respect. Jesus even said it this way. A prophet's not loved in his own hometown, right? It's true. It's just a truism. And so here Paul is in his humiliation in his hometown. And he's basically not doing much. Not that we're aware of. God is continuing to teach him some amazing lessons so that he comes to this place of understanding, realization, whatever so things he counted as gain, he now counts as loss for Christ. Friends, we can learn some amazing lessons on the bench. <laughs> My own experience, when I came to Christ, you know, so parallels Paul's. I was in high school. Uh, I realized that Jesus was it. I, I thought, man, I'm coming back to my high school. I'm going to set the school on fire, man. I'm going to tell my friends about Jesus. They're going to respond. You know, I'm going to use my platform of sports, and that's going to be great. You know, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. There's going to be a lot of response to it. And, you know, it wasn't anything like that, man. I came back from Jesus. I came back from, from my camp experience and meeting Jesus. And I came back and told my friends about Jesus. And they, they kind of laughed at me, actually. You know, they started calling me a Jesus freak. 
you know, uh, sports, uh, my quote platform and all of that got injured. I played the whole season. My junior year hurt, got moved out of the position that I wanted to play because I couldn't play middle linebacker as a, you know, with a bad ankle. And so I played, played my whole season with a bad ankle. I get in the baseball season, halfway through my baseball season, I get benched. Never been benched in my life. And I'm sitting on the bench. Why would God take a brand new Christian, a young guy who's going to do all this for Jesus and stick him on the bench? Because the truth is, it was humiliating to me. And in that humiliation, I started to learn something that I very much needed in my life and for my future ministry, and that is humility. And going through that process, I got to tell you the truth, I learned more sitting on the bench as hard as that was, I learned more sitting on the bench than I ever did playing the game. If you're benched right now, embrace it. What's God trying to teach you? Because the truth is, you may really now be ready for ministry, which is our last point. You know, Barnabas was sent by the Spirit of God to find Saul of Tarsus, or Paul now, okay, in Tarsus. He found him. He led him back to Antioch, and he begins his ministry. And great things begin to happen. And these lessons that he learned, you know, in his own life and his own experience are absolutely remarkable. You know, we see these verses back in Philippians chapter 3. We see these verses now, you know, where, where he, he talks about his, his, his own confidence in the flesh, you know. And then he talks about his own resume, being circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, all those things, persecutor of the church, quite a resume. But he came to a place of understanding, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. This is a very powerful lesson for anyone. Lessons learned the hard way on the road to effective ministry. You see, Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters. If you're trying to serve self-interest, if you take pride in your resume and your accomplishments, you will not be effective in service for God. If you truly want to be effective for God, we cannot put our confidence in the flesh. We put our confidence in Christ. What is the thing that you pride yourself in the most? What is the thing that you have the most confidence in? Is it your resume? Is it your marriage, uh, your, your job, you know, your retirement plan? You fill in the blank. Be careful. Because God may take that very thing that you pride yourself in and take you through this hard road to bring you to a reality where you can be effective for Christ. Because here's the thing is that God wants to make our faith real. And we got to keep it real. God wants us to be authentic. And when Paul opens himself up, it's just the opposite of the false teachers. The false teachers, they're phonies, man. They're trying to be something they're not. They're acting like they're one thing and they're not. There's too much of that in the church. The young people of today, they hate that. What they're looking for and what they're looking for from my generation, okay, from older people as, as mentors, as the, the Barnabases that are out there and and the role that we can play, if you happen to be, you know, in my age category, is to give them a window into your life, authentically living out your relationship with the Lord, 
Tell them of the road that God has taken you on to bring you to a place where you understand that when you're weak, uh, then you're strong. Because that's exactly what God wants to teach us. Whatever things Paul counted as gain personally, he says, those things I've now counted lost for Christ. And I'm actually willing to give all of those things up, all my status, my reputation, all of the things that the world thinks is valuable for the surpassing value of knowing Christ and making him known because there is nothing better that we can do in our lives and with our lives than to make him known to others. And, as I said last week, to build in the lives of others. It's something that uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to do, uh, to build in the lives of others, to be able to hand a baton off, to be a cheerleader along the way, and all of those things. I think it's what the church is all about. It always has been, and it always will be, if it's according to Jesus' mandate for the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I just, I just love this passage of Scripture because uh, not only is it kind of Paul's autobiography, but Lord, in some ways I can see as I look back over my own experience, my own life, uh, the lessons that you've taught me over time. And Lord, uh, uh, Lord I, I just pray for every person here today that's listening to this message, God, that uh, as you take them on their own journey, their own road, God, there are going to be some challenges along the way. But, but at the end, you know, for us to rejoice always. To know that you filter everything that comes into our life. To accept our weakness and embrace it. Because then you can be strong in our lives. And uh, Lord, as a result of that, you get the glory. Nothing could be better said of us than they're a servant of the Most High God. And so, Father, I just pray that might be true. It all begins with the relationship with Christ. And Lord, if a person listening today does not have that relationship, that placing their faith in Christ begins this journey. And, uh, Lord, I pray that they might do so, acknowledging their need, acknowledging their sin, embracing you as their Savior, and then set on this path like Saul, who became Paul, and was used in a mighty way. God, may we be used in a mighty way. May ABC be a church used in a mighty way because we fully embrace authentic Christianity. Lord, may we keep it real. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.